Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Welcome to Faculty Feed, everyone. I'm really excited because we get the wonderful opportunity to talk with Dr. Brian Williams today. He is an associate professor of neurosurgery. He's also the director of the Brain Tumor Program and the co-program director for the Neurosurgery Residency Program. Let's welcome Dr. Williams. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. I really appreciate it. Start with your background. How'd you get to UofL? I uh, grew up in the, the West and the Midwest. My father was a uh, attorney and uh, we moved around quite a bit. Before that, he was in the military. I went to college in Baltimore um, at Johns Hopkins and studied biology. And so I had the good fortune of meeting a, a gentleman who had gone to my high school uh, previously in Houston, uh, an orthopedist in the city. Uh, his name was Brian Parsley, who did uh, joint replacements primarily. And uh, I shadowed him for a summer and worked in his office and his lab. I, I found that uh, taking care of people and serving people was something that I was driven by and very, very passionate about and fulfilled by. So I said, well, uh, I guess I'll try medical school. So I went to medical school after that and applied to medical school and was lucky enough to get into Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. So I got to go home, studied uh, there for five years. I took a year off to do research um, in cardiovascular developmental research. So I studied maternal uh, carotid artery injury and fetal carotid artery injury at a simultaneous model. So we would operate on the fetus and the adult at the same time with a guy named Daryl Cass and C. Wayne Smith. Became very, very passionate about neurosurgery, which is uh, uh, unique in and of itself. There's not many of us. Um, so when I found that I loved that, um, you know, there's a certain set of steps you have to go to uh, go through to do that was lucky enough to uh, get matched to uh, University of Virginia, where I spent seven years and uh, did my neurosurgery training there. And then uh, did a fellowship in uh, uh, cancer neurosurgery at MD Anderson. And then uh, Dr. Nemot, who is the current chair of neurosurgery here, uh, was just about to start sort of around the time I was finishing. And he uh, called me and offered me a job and, and be a part of this department and this community. So a lot of people, go into college thinking that they're going to be a physician mm -hmm. and then fall back, fall back with their biology degree on some sort of research career. So you've had kind of the opposite path, mm -hmm. but you've had a really rich research experience. Do you still do research? It's one of the reasons I am very interested in oncology was the patients I take care of are suffering and dying from their disease pretty rapidly in brain cancer. There is an incredible opportunity there to try to help these people and even a small contribution on either the understanding of the disease or a new treatment could become very significant for these people. I don't do that alone, obviously. I work with a huge group of people here who are incredibly talented and, and, and excellent and the list is very long. Being a clinician and focused on the clinic and taking care of patients, it would be impossible for me to really be in the lab and there at the same time. So I rely on a, an a, incredible group of individuals to help me with that. You're a neurosurgeon. You're like crazy busy. And how did you get interested in, in teaching and learning and all that? Sure. Well, you know, I think you can't be in my position or really any 
sort of academic professional and not in some way be very driven by learning. One of the things I value in my life that is a very in, uh, significant reward for me is new knowledge, the, mm-hmm. the acquisition and learning of new knowledge. And I didn't realize that, at least explicitly, for a long time. Four or five years ago, I took one of these Gallup tests and, and it was sort of made it. I was like, yeah, that does resonate with me, right? And so it's like, okay, this seems reasonable. But then, you know, people take interest with you, right? I mean, you people, you have people who at every stage identify you as a person. If you're lucky, you have these people care about you and want to develop your, uh, sorry, your talent. And when you do that and when people invest in you, um, it really sparks a joy of learning and, and of, of teaching. And it was solidified for me in neurosurgery at my, my training program. Uh, University of Virginia was an incredibly... Um, rich environment that valued a lot of things, but one of the things they really valued significantly was um, learning and training residents and and people and medical students. When you're in an environment like that for seven years, it it does create an imprint on you of what shall your values be and what is valuable in the future. And so I really do see one of my primary goals in my career uh, to be the dissemination of knowledge, the training of other people in my profession. Um, and, 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 and here I see that as, as really a core part of our mission. So, um, so I, I became very interested in neurosurgery learning in my training program um, and then have done my best to recreate that as, as I saw it uh, or I perceived it here. You're like Stacy's dream. Faculty <laughs> member. I, I just have to say that because for someone to be able to come in and say what you just said about the importance of teaching and learning, I mean, it's the it's our mission in this office to help disseminate whatever skills and tools people need to equip them to be able to be the very best teachers and educators of all the learners we have here. And for you to have come in with that, what, what a great testimony to the importance of it what an example you provide to your colleagues, not only in neurosurgery, but really to the medical school in terms of that passion and commitment to do that. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I'll thank you on behalf of Stacy because <laughs> I know she'd like to clone you and make a thousand Brian Williams to run through the medical school. That would be troubling, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you very much. You know, I wouldn't say that any of this is, uh, would say that I am successful in any of this, all it says is that, or what I believe is that, if you value something, then you put your time into it, you put your effort, you show that value somehow. And that, for me, is my time, and for me, is is, is taking time with my uh, trainees, but also, uh, if I, as much as I can, um, but also really educating, trying to learn more and educate myself better so I can do better. Do you think your experiences and research and like that kind of mentorship model helped, like helped frame for you what you needed to do for your clinical learners? You can learn to mentor and teach people in lots of, in many different um, environments. And I think, yes, you're right. I think, I think research questioning does create a, a great skill set of critical thinking, an environment of inquisition and uh, a search for knowledge that sometimes can be less you have less time in the clinical arena to spend time with that and so to have that um, balance or have that sort of extra area to be able to concentrate on one thing is very helpful and then you know again it's all about 
not just mentors, but collaborators or partners, right? And those partners challenge you and they, just like my trainees challenge me or um, they'll teach me something new. And, and that makes the experience so fruitful that, you know, you're, you go and you spend an hour with another person and you're able to, just like in the HP, I was learning something new every week. So I was hungry to keep coming back to a lecture, to keep reading, to keep, not that I was great about it or not that I was the best student. I would never claim that. But what I can tell you is that the drive that kept me going through it, because it's easy to quit anything, is, is that I was learning something new that I thought was valuable every time I came to a lecture. Now, was it like exactly what you guys wanted me to learn or was it exactly what the intent of the lecture was? I don't know that. But what I can tell you is that made me never want to quit. I was always saying, well, you know, I got to get I got to get back on this. I got to do this lecture. It was my first time on virtual yeah. uh, learning. You are 100 uh, percent COVID class. I yeah. remember we never got face to face. So, yeah. So it was it was a strange and unique experience for me. But I, I think I learned and I felt like I was growing. And, and that was very important to me. And, and I think is a testament to the the class class series and the, and the lectures and the, the faculty and what you guys put into it because it it was very exciting for me well i think that's a good point and, and sometimes so we're talking about the health professions education uh program specifically the certificate series mm -hmm. sometimes faculty members will talk about it's really what you what you put into the course series is what you're going to get out because sure. there's such a diverse set of people in those courses it's really hard to tailor the experience to uh, you know the the nursing faculty or the public health faculty or a neurosurgeon it really the students who get the most out of it are those that come in and they make it what is going to be best for them because they know best what they need or you know what additional i guess information they need to learn right it's all about translating that knowledge translating it to your field right translating you know what we talk about to how is that going to work with you in the clinical setting? How is that going to work with you working with your residents or fellows or anyone that you have with you? Sure. And so, you know, what we tell everyone and what I tried to tell them is you've got to take this knowledge and be able to format it into how it will work for you. Because what we're providing is evidence-based resources, evidence-based research and teaching and learning, but it's not gonna be exactly the same for every single one of you in our class. Sure, and I, th I thought of it as foundational knowledge, you know, so like, you know, a core set of concepts that could help, possibly help me be a better teacher. The application of that knowledge is gonna be different for a public health professor versus a nursing professor versus someone who's teaching about teaching, which is a little too meta for me, <laughs> um, versus, you know, me who I'm, I'm teaching people. It's not knowledge I'm teaching. Some of it is, but it's not technical skill. You'd be, I have never thought our, our field is particularly challenging from a technical perspective. So I don't think that is ever, for me, a, a hiccup. What really I, I have the hardest time teaching people is behaviors that will create right. success. And, and so I have a hard time with that. Or how to measure, what do I measure as success um, in teaching or in my, my uh, uh, learners? You know, I, I just, it's a hard, hard question. And so we keep um, circling around it and spiraling and having some success and some failure. As clinicians in a clinical setting is to take the tools that you can learn in things like the HPE certificate program and show up and do your best to apply some of them. Sure. 
because so many of us are so busy clinically, running from patient to patient, room to room, operation to clinic, there's just not the time given, though there are times might be available, it's not a priority. Sure. And, and so I think what Brian has done, what he's describing is incredible in that he, is, he invested in the program and then he invests that knowledge into his day-to-day -day work. And that's all we could ask of anyone, is to make that effort to try and do that. And, and Brian, you should not underestimate the impact that you have. You are seen as a leader when you show up on neurosurgery rounds or in a clinic or in that operating room. You are seen by those residents as a leader. And the leader, by their actions, casts a shadow over that environment. Your focus on education, your focus on trying to make make it easier for people to learn and to help them to learn, whether it's technical or knowledge-based skills, that is seen by these people, whether they tell you or not, and they're taking notes, they're paying attention. And so just never underestimate, for any of the faculty listening, the impact you have simply by engaging in the process because those students, those residents, those fellows are looking to you and taking cues off of you and the leadership behaviors that you demonstrate to them. In this case, leadership behaviors around teaching. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, the things that you learned. So could you specifically discuss some of the uh, skills or knowledge that you gained in HPE and maybe how you use that particularly in a, in a neurosurgery, you know, busy clinical environment? I'll start with the one thing I, I think I'm least apt to, to use but is very powerful is reflection. Mm -hmm. Reflection I find challenging to uh, incorporate. The things that I've been able to I think uh, incorporate more effectively are questioning and so uh, questioning uh, instead of asking a, a question of uh, factual knowledge if uh, I have a more advanced learner um, I'm not interested in factual knowledge I know they've had that foundation and I'm more interested in understanding their process and understanding how they can adapt it to a new situation. Right. Um, and so uh, true learning or uh, instead of uh, the illusion of knowledge, right? Yes. And so I was reading an article on BBC about that just the other day <laughs> in, in business, but, yeah, but it, it's, it's the same. same concept, right? And so questioning has been a, a big difference for me. Uh, I um, will commonly ask, why do you think that? more than anything else now instead of no that's the wrong answer this is why this is I think this is the right answer right which uh, is um, uh, in a field where where we value uh, an expeditious evaluation and treatment because lots of our the things we treat are acute and so we do minutes and, and seconds cumul accumulated over the course of a patient's you know uh, evaluation do matter for us it can be hard to do, but even after the fact, asking, well, you know, what if this was different? What if we, uh, what if we called an audible here and this was a 90-year-old person instead of a 18-year-old, or or something like that? So I think uh, that has changed significantly. Programmatically, we've tried to institute uh, the hat or the hallmark assessment of training, and so it's not in the entire residency right now, but we've just started with our interns. And so some of the hallmark assessments of training are a complete and thorough history and physical examination with a limited differential diagnosis incorporated. Um, and, and that really is sort of a foundational assessment for us, for people who don't do you know, clinical medicine or whatnot. And it's sort of our 
thing that we want our intern to be doing by the end of their PGY one year, we want them to be an expert in that. You've decided this is what we want our interns to be able to know and do by the end of this intern year. And so by defining that and, you know, hopefully getting everyone on board, you're, you are setting not only your interns up for success, but as they continue to grow and learn as a resident, I mean, I would love to see, okay, so by the end of PGY2, this is what you're going to do. And, you know, PGY7, you know, yay, we're, you know, you're almost done. And these are the things that if you graduate from UofL's um, Department of Neurosurgery Residency Program, these are the things that you will know and be able to do to make you an effective, promising neurosurgeon. Did you know any of uh, these skills or any of this content before you started the HPE certificate? Very little, uh, very little. I knew about the, from cognitive neuroscience classes in, in medical school, I knew about the remembering or the forgetting curve. Yeah. But really other than that, I was not familiar with this literature other than sort of suggestions of it in, in some stuff I'd done for reading and literature I'd read about leadership. Um, and, and so I would say 95, 99% of everything I learned in the HPE program was new knowledge for me. Having one set of expertise is not enough um, in our profession. Um, I, I truly believe that you know, success is gained or, or true avenues of opportunity are developed through overlapping areas of success and then creating that niche, creating that, or developing that opportunity. And this for me was one of them, just as I saw it was a sort of a area of, um, not novelty, but in neurosurgery, it was a novel thing to be yes. interested in that. There's very few people who do that. And so for me, I thought this is a great opportunity to invest in this area and try to develop this and, and at least experiment and try to do something better. You know, because I didn't think that what we were doing was good enough. So we've had some neurosurgeons go through HPE and I'm just curious, you know, do you, is there some, do you think neurosurgeons need this information more than other faculty, medical faculty, or is this like you think synonymous for all medical faculty, you know, that are teaching faculty? The information is definitely applicable to everyone uh, who's teaching medical students, trainees, residents, anything. Because, as I said, I think it's a foundational con concept that can be applied in any, any venue. But what I do think uh, is a unique combination for neurosurgeons is um, because there's not many of us, there is a very um, uh, vertical focus on how we transmit our information. And we value that information and we value that it, it shall not be lost. So I think that is prescient for us because there's not many of us. Um, and definitely, even when you go through and say, well, there's you know, 4,000 or so neurosurgeons in the country, well, how many of them are teaching people? Right. And you start dividing out subsets of people, and then you realize there's not that many uh, people who are valuing this knowledge, right? Um, and I think we're narcissists, right? We are narcissists. And so I believe I can do it better than what was done for me. Um, and I think that's part of uh, my narcissism. And um, I think that I can train people to be better than me, uh, which is an indirect reflection of my own narcissism, which is like, <laughs> I can do this better, they will be better, our field will be better. Um, and, and so I think it's co-opting uh, or, or adopting a um, personality type that in general would 
uh, maybe people might think of as negative and taking that and using it as energy to try and do something that I do think is meaningful. Brian, we always end our episodes by um, asking the guests to challenge our listeners to do something after they hear this episode. What would you challenge the listeners to do next week? I would challenge our listeners to uh, question their, their learners why. why. Why do you think that? Why are we doing that? Why should, why should that be the course of action? Or why do you think this is the right diagnosis? Or why do you think this is the uh, sign that you see on a physical exam? Um, and I think why... Um, moves past our ability to understand uh, a binary thing of get it or not get it and move on to what we're more concerned with, which is true understanding, taking knowledge and actually applying it in different situations. And you get more of a, a learner's true understanding from asking that question why. And you can do that in a thousand different ways. So don't, it doesn't have to be the word why if you hate that, because I know some parents at the time from like two to 10, it's why, why, why. But, but, at the heart of it, I think that is very important. And I think when you get to that, you'll find that your learners appreciate it more, you learn more, and you'll do a better job. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Brian, what a treat. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Next Friday on Faculty Feed, Dr. Becky Gessler joins us. We have so many committed faculty in the School of Nursing at the University of Louisville using innovative approaches to student engagement and motivation. It's a fascinating story. So many good lessons learned by the students and by the educators. Join us on Faculty Feed next week. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be, as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional information from today's session, as well as our email address. Feel free to contact us at facfeed at louisville.edu That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and come hungry.